Welcome to the City of Refuge Church Podcast. We are so excited that you have joined us. We are a church that is called, connected, and commissioned. We want to call all people to repent and believe in our Savior's loving grace. We want to connect our neighborhood to the unity found in the greater family of Christ. We want to commission others to live as kingdom citizens before the world and heaven. And we hope that this podcast gives you a glimpse of what God is doing in us and in the Eau Claire community. Thank you so much for tuning in. So I'm going to invite Grant on stage and I'm going to pray over him. As he comes up, can y'all cheer this brother on? Because we need some cheers. Come on. <laughs> Let me pray over my brother and then, uh, sir, the floor is yours. Take us to the cross. Father, we are so thankful of the great gift that you have given, first in your son, but also as stewards of grace, giving it to leaders who are going forth to declare your truth to the, to the ends of the earth and to the end of the age. Father, I am so thankful for the gift that you have put in Grant, and as he is seeking to plant Renewal Church. Father, help us to be encouraging to him. Help us to cheer him on. And Father, we pray for your peace to continue to go before him, that you would continue to pour out your grace on him and his family's household, and that you would use them for many days to come. I pray for his wife, Alexis, in this season, as they're just figuring things out. Father, continue to encourage them. Sin saints that will help walk with them. Sin believers who will help see this work established. Sin harvesters into your harvest field and use them for your glory. So, Father, anoint him right now as he prepares to preach your word. Pour out your grace on him. Hide him behind your throne and allow your word to be spoken clearly, truthfully to us and encourage our hearts to continue to look up towards you. So, Lord, we're thankful for this. We're thankful for this moment, and we lift all these things up to you. In your son Jesus' name, amen. How y'all doing this morning? Uh, y'all going to have to do better than that. How are we doing this morning? Good, good. Glad to hear that. Am I on? Can y'all hear me? Okay, great, great. Well, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 9. Uh, I don't intend to be before you long today because of the clarity to, in which Paul has wrote uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 9. Uh, and thank you so much for the reading of the word. It is such a supernatural activity to hear God's word read over us and washed over us as we hear from him. And so I want to pray one more time and then we will jump uh, right in if that's all right. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that it is such a privilege and an honor to worship you, to serve you, that, God, we were once people who are far off, but, God, you have brought us near through the blood of Christ, that now we have access uh, by your Spirit to you, Father, and so we thank you for that. Now, Lord, we just admit that we often fail. We often uh, get sidetracked and captivated by other things in society more than we are captivated by you. And so, God, would you forgive us of that in this moment? And Lord, as um, the brother prayed over me earlier to hide me behind your cross, I pray indeed that you would do that, that people would not see me, but they would see Christ and him exalted and lifted high because he is worthy of all of our affection and all of our attention and that we are to bow before him, that we actually to crown him Lord of all and that no one else is uh, deserving of that title but him. 
And I just pray for City of Refuge Church that, God, you will continue to give the increase as they plant and as they water, that, God, you would give the growth. Uh, that they would leave the results up to you, that, God, you would move in uh, mighty ways, that people who are far away from you, that are not yet in Christ, they will be in Christ through the proclaiming of the gospel as they go on their prayer walks, as they share Christ with those who have not yet received you. I pray that, Lord, the Spirit would raise them from spiritual death to spiritual life. And so, God, I just ask that you would continue to move and work, that you would do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that they've ever asked or imagine. And we just ask that right now, God, in this moment in history that you have given us at this on this Sunday morning on church planning Sunday, God, that you would speak to us, that we would hear from you. God, they need a word from you, not a word from me. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that they would receive all that you have for them in Jesus name. And everybody said, amen. Imagine a society uh, that is clamoring for political power, uh, a society that is positioning itself to value the elite uh, while also stiff-arming those that they deem inferior. Uh, this is a place that is attracted to people with status, those who have positioned themselves in such a way to benefit from holding places of power and authority. Imagine a society that is infatuated with wealth, a society that purposefully attracts those who will flourish financially. And many people in this society engage in cutthroat business practices which pad the pockets of the wealthy while negatively impacting the poor. Uh, look at this society. Can you imagine it? Can you envision this society? It is a thriving one. In fact, it is a vibrant society. It is, attractive. it is an attractive city to people involved in commerce, in trade, and in business. And so it is a beneficial society that will ensure that the wealthy remain the prized possession. Now, while at the same time, the poor and the marginalized will remain trampled on. If that doesn't get you, imagine a society that is divided, divided across socioeconomic lines, divided across ethnic lines. If, if there was one characteristic that would accurately describe this society, it would be division. But it gets worse, family. I think I can call you family this morning. Imagine a church that has been shaped more by the society than Christ himself. A church that loves people with status. A, a church that clamors for power. In fact, a church that values wealth above all. Uh, a church that is involved in idol worship and scandalous sexual sin. This church does not appear to be in the same zip code of Christ-likeness. Make matters worse, not even in the same zip code, but it seems like not even on the same planet as Christ-likeness. But what makes matters worse is that this church is plagued by division. Yes, idol worship is horrible. Scandalous sexual sin is horrible. The love for status is horrible. The clamoring for power is horrible. The valuing of wealth above all is detrimental. But what is even more detrimental than all of those things is that this church is plagued 
by division. That before Christ himself uh, died on the cross and after being uh, put to the cross, he resurrected from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father. He prayed one thing over his people, that they would be what? One, as we are one. So the thing that he prayed for the most, this church is far from. This church is divided over spiritual gifts. Uh, They are divided over the resurrection. Uh, They are divided over leaders. Uh, Division is ruling the church, not Christ. Christ, who is the supreme being of the universe, Christ, who holds all things together, should be indeed who is also holding this church together, even in the midst of their scandalous and crazy and audacious division. If you didn't catch on this morning, the society that I'm describing is Corinth. And the church that I'm describing is the Corinthian church. Some of you may be asking, what does love The love of status, the love of money, the love of power have to do with division. What does idol worship and scandalous sexual sin have to do with division? Well, everything. You see, disunity is at the heart of all immaturity. Division will strangle your maturity. In fact, division will stunt your spiritual growth as a people. Corporately, I'm not just talking about your individualistic lives. I mean, as the people of God, our union together, being unified on mission with Christ and with his glory, being ambassadors for his kingdom, is critical to our unity. You see, let me put it another way. Disunity breeds immaturity. But Paul counters. In this text, he says, the true mark of maturity is unity. The true mark of maturity is unity. Unity breeds maturity. And and I came here today to tell you that there are levels of maturity you will not experience without unity. There are wells of maturity that God desires us to experience, but we must go through the doorway of unity to experience them. We cannot mature without the waters of unity. That if maturity is the garden, that we need the water of unity so that the plants can grow, so that the flowers can grow in a way that is flourishing, though in a way that is beautiful for all the world to see. You see, Paul is writing to a troubled church. I don't know if you've seen, you've seen that they have been doing some crazy things, and you're not to the crux of the matter yet. It gets worse as you get to 1 Corinthians 5 that we find out that we hope that a man has been sleeping with his stepmother. So this is a very troubled church, and it seems that they did not... um, Uh, rebuke that or call that out because the person that was doing so was a wealthy man. And so this Corinthian church values intellectualism over holiness. Uh, They value eloquence over godly wisdom. Oh, it sounds like a lot of churches in America today. That we are so worried about money, we are so worried about numbers that we have the mindset of the world has infiltrated the church. 
You see, the church is supposed to be different. It is supposed to be distinct, set apart from all of the world that God has plucked out of people in society for himself, for his name to bear his name, that the church is supposed to shine as a light in the world and flavor the world with salt. But instead, we are leaving the world flavorless. However, they are the Corinthian church, they are being shaped by the world more than they are shaping the world. That their neighborhoods are shaping them more than they are shaping their neighborhoods. And based on this text, the primary reason for this is they are immature. Here it is right there in verse 1. Paul says, this is an immature church. He says, there are some things I want to tell you. I desire to proclaim something to you, but I am unable to. Look at how it reads. For my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. That instead of me calling you people who are led by the Spirit of God, which should be, should be the characteristic of every follower of Jesus, that the Spirit should be leading them, that the Spirit should be empowering them, that the Spirit should be filling him, filling them so that they could live as authentic Christians in the world. But instead of being people who are led by the Spirit, they are people that are being led by the flesh. The flesh is dominating them. They are resembling the life and the attributes of the world. Paul goes on to say that they are acting like babies. Yeah, you read it right. That it starts off with a pastoral rebuke that we can see that the rebuke is softened just a bit when he says that as babies in Christ. So it starts off seeming that, man, are these people even Christians? But he says, wait, before you get your back up, you're still in Christ, but you're just acting as if you're not at times and most of the times you're acting like infants, like you've just came to faith in the Lord. And this is problematic in a lot of ways because Paul planted this church and he says, there's been some years that have come, gone by. And, and, and you should have progressed to a level by now that I think you should be at. And I should be able to speak to you as a people that have matured to that level, that you should have been progressed by now. But the problem is you have regressed that you should be to this place in your spiritual journey, but you are still there when I met you years ago. That you should have been to a place where there is a maturity level that you can uh, receive certain things, receive certain teachings that I have for you. Paul says, Corinthian church, you are still in the nursery. And it's time for you to get out the nursery. And if I'm honest this morning, sometimes we need to hear that, don't we? That, that, that we need God to look at us and say, uh, th th there are some errors in your life where you're still in the nursery. And, and you need to level up just a little bit so that I can take you places that I desire to, pay to take you. Paul says, because you are still in the nursery, I gave you milk to drink, <laughs> not solid food. Since you were not ready for it. Mm. You see, family, the problem is not with Paul. Paul is not the one who is deficient in speaking. 
It is the Corinthian church who is deficient in receiving what Paul desires to speak. Paul says, I'm not deficient in being able to proclaim the good news of the gospel and all of its glories and all that it entails. The problem is that you are deficient in hearing and not hearing just to hear, but listening with the intent to apply it to your life, to be transformed by the word and power of God. Paul says they were not ready for it. In fact, according to Paul, they are still not ready for what Paul has to say. Paul says, I can imagine that when we first planted this church and you first came to Christ, there were some things that you were not ready for. But you should be to a place by now that you are now ready for those things I wanted to give you then. But he says, you are still not ready for the things that I wanted to give you at that moment, at this moment. When my children were younger, we used to place a baby gate on their door. Uh, some of you might be in that stage now, or you remember that stage. <laughs> if they were to wake up in the morning before us, they would have to wait until my wife and I woke up to unlock the baby gate. Uh, please don't say we're bad parents, but I remember times where Eden was younger. She would be rocking against the door, let me out, let me out. And so our children as we had the baby gate locked so they couldn't get out and mess it all in the house. You know, they get on the weekend sometimes, we didn't want to sleep in. And so they would get up and they're messing with stuff they're not supposed to be messing with. So we had to put the baby gate on the door. You see, our children did not possess the maturity level that warranted the removal of the baby gate. If the baby gate was not there, they did not have the maturity level to keep themselves from messing with things they did not have no business messing with. Their, their maturity level was not ready to be trusted without the restriction of the baby gate. And you see, there are times in our life when our maturity level is not ready to be trusted with what God is ready to teach us. The problem is not with God when this happens. The problem is with our maturity level that we are not yet at a place. We have not arrived that we are responsible enough to receive the lessons that God has for us. Yes, Paul says, I have proclaimed Christ to you. You remember earlier, as y'all learned, I think last week or the week before, when he says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He says, this good news, this gospel is not a shallow message. So he's not saying that you need to graduate from that message. No, he's saying this message is so wonderful, so scandalous, so beautiful that it packs a whole punch and it can change the whole world, but you are not ready for all the finer tenets of this gospel yet. You see, Paul continues. He pinpoints their immaturity. Their immaturity is expressed in their disunity. The Corinthians are in a vulnerable position. There is jealousy and strife among them. Paul says, the reason I know you are still worldly, world, worldly rather, is because there is envy and strife among you. They are fighting about spiritual gifts. They are fighting about the resurrection of the dead and the promise of the resurrection afterwards. Some of them have even claiming that the resurrection has already happened. Well, how is that the case when some have, Paul says later in 1 Corinthians 15, some have fallen asleep? 
If the resurrection has already happened for those who are in Christ, then that means they would not still be falling asleep. But you see what's crazy? They are jealous, not just fighting about spiritual gifts. You see, you start to fight over what I don't have and what you have. You see, some of us have the gift of mercy. Some of us have the gift of teaching. Some of us have the gift of all different avenues of the spirit, the ways in which God has gifted us. And the problem with this church is that God has given them much grace. They have experienced the grace of God. And when they should be celebrating the grace of God in one another, they are actually fighting about the grace of God that others have received. That they are fighting, they are jealous over the same grace in which they have received for God of God. Why are we jealous about what that person has received opposed to what I have received? There is plenty enough grace to go around. We don't have to be jealous about the grace gifts of the Spirit because God has given all of us the gifts of the Spirit. They belong to the church, but they belong primarily to the Spirit, but he has stewarded them to the church so that we can build up the body. But instead of using these gifts to build up the body, they are jealous about one another. In the Corinthian church, their unity has been disrupted by this envy and this strife. You see, strife, that's not just simply just baby fighting. Strife is a violent dissension towards another. It is an extreme hatred for another. You see, it starts when I get jealous. They have what I don't have. Can I get personal? They have that job that I, don't, that I want. They have that car that I want. Oh, I'm meddling today. And then we start to get angry. Not just at God, but at them because we don't have what they have. And then once we get angry at them, for, that we don't have what they have, then we start to have create strife in the body of Christ. We begin to gossip. We, be, we begin to backbite. We begin to slander because they have what we don't have. And this is what this church is experiencing. Instead of celebrating one another, they are hating on one another. And it is through their jealousy and strife that they are promoting Disunity. And Paul says, is this not the definition of worldly? That the world, we can expect the world to be jealous of one another. We can expect strife to be in the world, but goodness gracious, it should not be named in the church. He says, is this not the definition of behaving like mere humans? And some of us, we say, oh, that's just a human thing to do. Oh, but some of us have forgotten that actually when we sin against God in ways of jealousy and strife, that's actually less than human. Because if we don't remember in Genesis 1 what happened, God made man in the likeness of himself. And he made man to reflect his justice, his kindness, his goodness, his love in the world. 
But instead of us reflecting his goodness, his kindness in the world, we have strayed away from that. And we have turned the mirror away from God and to ourselves. And so now that has diminished our value and our dignity before God. But there is a man that came in the likeness of flesh, that Christ himself, he wasn't just a mere man, but the God man. He came and he showed us what it means to be fully human, that he never sinned against God. He was never jealous of his brothers and sisters that he has purchased by his own blood. He never caused strife amongst people. He might have disrupted some things, but it sure wasn't strife. It was the disruption that was necessary. It was this Christ that has shown us what it means to be fully human. And it does not involve strife. It does not involve envy. God's people are to be a people who behave as regenerate people. Paul says you should be acting as if you have been raised from spiritual death to spiritual life. You should be acting as recipients of the grace and peace of God. But instead, they are acting like they have never encountered the living Christ himself. He goes on to say, some of you are even saying, I belong to Paul. One of you says, I belong to Apollos. You see those in quotation marks in your Bible because he's responding to what they are saying. This is not what Paul has said. This is what they said. He is responding to them. And earlier, you remember in 1 Corinthians 1, he says that some of you are even saying, I follow Christ. The Corinthian church is creating disunity, not only by jealousy and strife, by determining which leaders they will follow and will not follow. Some of them say, I follow Apollos because he is an eloquent man. Some of them uh, follow Paul because they view Paul as their leader. But some even said, I follow Christ. And some of you might be asking, well, why is that a problem? Is it, aren't we supposed to be following Christ? Well, I know on the onset it looks very spiritual here. And I know that these words seem to be a people who are mature, but actually they are showing a great level of immaturity. You see, when someone claims that they follow Christ in this text, they are saying, I follow Christ and I don't need anyone to lead me. I don't need no leaders. I don't need to submit to the authority in which God has placed over myself. In fact, I don't even need the church. Friends, I came here today to tell you that when someone says they have Christ and they don't need his people, they are out of step with spiritual maturity. And I'll tell you, this is what I've been experiencing a lot. I don't know if you're experiencing here in Columbia, but in our city, there is Christians all around that I follow Jesus. I love Jesus, but they are not a part of a faith family. I'm going to tell you, there are so many problems with that. That you cannot claim to follow Christ as your Lord, as the one that is the king over your life, and you are not connected to the family of God, to a local church where you can thrive and be all that God desires you to be. It's problematic, and, I, and, and if you have people in your life, they don't, you don't, they don't have to come to this church but there's so many churches in Columbia that people can go to for them to be sitting at home 
and listening to their favorite preachers. And some of them, they don't even need to be listening to them preachers. And so that is the problem that we find ourselves, that that's why division is rampant in the church, because just like the Corinthian church, we ourselves don't understand the value of leadership and that we are not supposed to say, I follow this person. I follow this person. That's my leader. That's not, that's not my leader. I like him. I don't like him. That's not how it works. God says, I have given leadership over the church. And you follow all of them. Not who you want to pick and choose who you will follow. Because if you diss Paul and Apollos, that means you're dissing Christ. But that is not all, family. Not only were they promoting division by selecting which leaders they will follow and would not follow, but they were also promoting division by elevating leaders. Oh, we do this a lot in our day. And we've seen the horror stories. We elevate these pastors to the place they should not be. And then something, a scandal happens. And then next thing you know, folks are deconstructing, folk are leaving the faith. And that's how it goes. Because that is the culture in which in America we have fostered. And you can see that it seems that times have not changed because in Corinthians, they were dealing with the same things. They elevated Paul and Apollos to places that God did not intend for them to be elevated. Paul exposes their faulty thinking. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believe. He goes on to say that they each have a role that the Lord has given them. So elevating one over the other is undermining the unity of Paul and Apollos in their very work. That they are both in unity about the work that they're doing. So if you elevate one above the other, that is basically dis-undermining, uh, discrediting the unity they, that they have. Paul planted, Paul says, in Apollos water, but it was God who gave the increase. You see it right there in the text. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is, is, is anything, but only God gives the growth. In other words, the only reason the planting and the watering was effective is because God did the work. Paul and Apollos were simply instruments in God's hands. My wife used to be a surgical technologist. As she was studying, I learned that instruments uh, are used in surgery. I did not know that. In fact, the surgery cannot happen without those instruments. Surgery, therefore, requires instruments, but the surgery definitely cannot happen without the surgeon. If the instruments are just sitting down on the table and there is no surgeon to pick the instruments up and activate the instruments so that they could do the surgical cutting away so that they could cut away cancer and all these different types of tumors, then the surgery would not get done. You see, the instruments do not do the work in surgery. It is the surgeon who does the work in surgery. The surgical instruments are simply instruments in the surgeon's hands. And oh, how I wish this morning that some of us knew that we cannot elevate leaders, that we cannot push them to heights. God did not intend them to go because leaders are instruments in God's hands. You say the only reason the church was established, the only reason that the church grew, the only reason that the church was nurtured is because God did 
did the work. City of Refuge Church, yes, Pastor Jay Will and you all are planting this church and that there are some coming now who are watering this church. But do not get it twisted for one second. It is God who gives the growth and it is God alone who will continue to give the growth as he sees fit. The results are not in the hands of his servants, but the results are in the hands of God and God alone. So it is not your business. Go ahead. We can, yes, amen. Hallelujah. Y'all can help me preach. That's all right. That is all right. The results are not up to us. In fact, our business is not the growth. It is our business to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. It is our business to ensure that the cross is not emptied of its power by disunity. It is our business that our eyes are fixed and focused on God, not ourselves. And can I just be honest that church planning exposes this all the time. That it shows how much we rely on ourselves and our gifting and our ability to wax eloquent or not to wax eloquent. We, we, we want to our ability to reach that person or to reach this person. No, Paul says it is not in your ability to do anything. The church is built and the church is grown by the power, wisdom, and love of God. In that alone. Because if we can just be vulnerable for a minute, especially within pastors, anxiety is rampant. Why? Because we look at the numbers and we can get so infatuated with that. We can focus on who is here and who's not there. But in this text, it shows us that as you all continue to plant this church and as the Lord sends my wife and I to plant in Greensboro, that our eyes should not be on the increase. It should not be on the growth. Now, anything that is healthy will grow. But our eyes should be on planting, watering, planting, watering. And I don't know if any of you have gardened before. It don't happen overnight, does it? You have to plant. You have to till the soil. You have to work at it. You have to go out there. You got to water even when it rains, that ain't enough. You got to go out there in between when it rains, and you got to do those things. You see, the problem with a lot of us is that we're not willing to put in the work because we are so paralyzed by the growth. We want it to grow the way we want it to grow, and Paul says the growth is not up to you anyway. God does what he wants to do, and if we are just faithful in planting and watering, it will grow. Now, I'm almost done. We are instruments in God's hands. We are servants. We are the vehicle by which God uses. But this does not undermine the significance of our work and the work of our leaders. Paul says the person who plants and he who waters are one, which is also why we shouldn't elevate leaders, because we are unified in the work. The purpose is the same, the establishing, the building, and the nurturing of the church. Not only are they unified, but both of them will receive his own reward according to to his own labor. This validates the work of leaders that, and, and also the people of God because the leaders are not the ones that do the work. I don't know if you know, but the leaders of the church, the pastors are to equip the saints to do what? Oh, well, that's my favorite passage in scripture. So that means our work is not insignificant. In fact, God, I mean, Paul goes on to even say, well, God through Paul, we are God's co-workers. Man, that is a wonderful statement that you might have thought that you were just a servant of God. Paul says, look, I'm going to lower you down just a little bit, but then I'm going to show you that God doesn't just see you as a servant. 
He sees you as a co-laborer with himself. As one said, without God, we cannot. But without God, but without us, God will not. God does not need us. Do not get it twisted by any means. But God wants to use us. He wants to use us to disciple people, to proclaim the gospel to people. He wants to use us to plant churches like the one that is being planted here. Why? Because according to Paul, the church is God's field. The church is God's building. This means that we are either, this means mean two things, that we are either the field and the building in which God is at work. Or we are the ones doing the work and cultivating and building. Either if we're the ones cultivating the field, or are we the ones that are the field? Or if we are the building or the one that is building, that does not matter. What matters is that God is the one undergirding it all, empowering all of us in our work. So although we work, as Paul says in Colossians 1, we work by his what? Energy. We strive by God's power. It is not by our might, but by his spirit. Oh, how I wish we had some spirit-led believers in our day and age that depended upon the spirit of God more than we depend on our systems and our structures because we can put all the systems and structures in Hey, I'm putting my hand up because I love system and I love structure. We can have all of them. But if the spirit of God does not breathe on them systems and them structures, nothing will happen. Nothing will take place. We can proclaim Christ to all the people we want to, but we better be on our knees asking the spirit of God to make dead hearts alive. Like uh, Ezekiel stood out before them, them dead bones, them dry bones that we're proclaiming the gospel. But it is the spirit of God who lets them live. You see, the Corinthian church are misunderstanding the way in which God works. Their disunity gives evidence to their immaturity. But their immaturity is the result of misunderstanding how God's, God works in his church and in his leaders. It is not the leaders who need to be crowned. It is Christ, the Messiah, who must be crowned. He is the one who was crowned, as I said earlier, Lord of all. He is the one who breaks disunity and establishes unity. He is the one who has reconciled us to one another through the cross. And it was through this cross by which God has founded and birthed the whole church. And so the work that God is doing, he's already done it in Christ. But now it is through the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the work that we are doing, that we are proclaiming him, that we are telling people who are hungry, who are in need, who are thirsty for the living water, that we have water for you to drink. That there was water, that, that there was a fountain, there I say, filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, right? You see, the city of city of Refuge Church, there will be moments when you'll be vulnerable to jealousy and strife. If I didn't tell you that, I'd be lying to you. There will be moments when the church, my wife and I are planting, will be vulnerable to jealousy and strife. And there will even be moments when we are vulnerable to this division and disunity. But as I come down to my close, and I'm just going ahead and warn you that I like to celebrate the good news of the gospel. But in the face of these challenges, we must press on to unity. Because the true mark of maturity is unity. If we are honest, maintaining unity in our churches and in our church plants seem impossible. 
but I came here today with good news. For it is impossible, for what is impossible for us is not impossible for the living Christ. Hear these words, and I'm going to read a long passage of scripture, but bear with me. From Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called uh, the, uh, the circumcised, which is done in flesh by human hands. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to, foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. What a desperate situation. That used to be our state, if you don't remember. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh that is in Christ coming he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed it in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two resorting in peace he did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death there used to be hostility there used to be jealousy there used to be strife but Jesus says I pinned that mess to the cross he came and he proclaimed the good news of the peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near for through him we have both access in one spirit to the father so then you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundation there I say of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone in him the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in him you are also being built together for God's dwelling place in the spirit that God now has inhabited you city of refuge church that he dwells with you he lives within you and so is there anybody here that can testify like Paul one faith one Lord one baptism one God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that they are the one we in which we serve so we should not be categorized I mean defined as disunity when our God himself is not disunified that God is unified that together he is building shaping and molding a church that will reflect his beauty and character in the world you see Columbia South Carolina does not need any more people who loves their favorite rappers. They don't need any more political pundits. They don't need anyone on Fox News or CNN that tells them what the, the solution of this world is. I came here today to tell you that the solution of this world is that God has birthed of church and he's forming and even shaping a local church right here in Columbia, South Carolina. The name called a house called City of Refuge Church and you have all that you need to, to continue to plant, continue to water this church so that God will give the growth. I'm done. I'm done. But family, it is such a joy to be with you. And so I just want to thank you so much for your hospitality to my wife and I and our sweet baby Remy. Uh, our two other daughters are not with us this morning. They um, you know, we can't really go nowhere with them for the weekend sometimes because when we try to eat out with good folks, and it's just hard to do that. So, and they get some good time with their grandparents. But thank you all so much for your support, your prayers, and your care and concern for us. 
that we are leaving here re-energized because if we're honest, church planting has been a great challenge. It's been hard. But we serve a God that in the face of our challenges, he has big shoulders that we can stand on. And so as you bow your head, I'm going to pray over you all, and then we will finish out in the worship of our King. Father, thank you so much for your word. That, God, we are indeed your field, your building. And that, God, we are planting, we are watering. So I ask right now that as City of Refuge Church continues to plant and continue to water, that, God, you would give the increase. That, God, you love Columbia and you love this church more than they do. So we know that you want to give the growth, that we know that you want people to be discipled, to come to faith in Christ and to belong in your family. And I pray the same over Renewal Church, the church that my wife and I, as you've given us a vision to plant, that God, you will be with us, that as we plant, as we water, and as our team plants and waters, that God, you will give the growth. God, we cannot grow out. We cannot grow other people, and we cannot grow a church. Lord, we can't even grow ourselves, but you can. And that we are co-workers with you. You did not put us on the sidelines. You did not say, all authority in heaven has been given to me and on earth. Now move and get out of the way. No, you said, now, because I have all authority in heaven and on earth, I share that authority with you and go and make disciples of all nations. And you promised us as we go that you will be with us every step. God, if we want your presence and power to be with us, then we better get busy about making disciples. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.